Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I did this interview with my good friend Mike Green in New York. This one is with MK. He hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Dance Music Club play chart in 1993 and 1994 when I'm born with his songs Always and Love Changes. Lead vocals on the tracks were produced by Alana Simon. He is also known for his remixes that he's done for other artists, such as Celine Dion's single Misled, which became the first and only number one Billboard dance play chart to hit for Celine Dion's career. He remixed Betty Boo's single Thing Going On, brought the song to the number five on the same chart. So he's just a chart-topping guy, and he's been around for a while. So really cool interview. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Travel the world doing what you love. What's the biggest insight you've gained about culture and people in general? Oh. <laughs> Start off the bang. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, a lot of people are very similar in different countries. Mm-hmm. You would think that you know you go to to Russia and people would be a lot different than Americans or Croatia, and, but everyone is pretty similar. Yeah, which, which was actually shocking. Is there like one particular like aspect of the individuality that makes them so similar, or like what do you what well, do you I think th- that factor well, is? I think, well, every time I travel, obviously they're, they're coming to see me play, or they're going to hear music, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just universal. Everyone's take on on music and watching DJs. Mm-hmm. What about like your interactions outside of like that that musical atmosphere? Though I don't really have too many of those. Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> Literally, you go play somewhere and you leave. Yeah. You know, there's times I've been to countries and haven't seen the country. I've only seen the hotel room. Oh, wow. So. Do you ever, like, think twice about that? Like, wow, like, I, I, I do this for, like, I've done this for so long. Like, I've, I've been to so many places. Like, I yeah. kind of just want to like, not I, I just see the inside of a hotel room. Yeah, on paper. You know, <laughs> before I leave, I'm like, I'm going to go hang out here or go to Paris and mm-hmm. go to a museum. But, you know, you get there and you, you just did a show the night before until six in the morning, you just mm-hmm. flew in and you just you're too tired to do it. Yeah. Is there anything that surprised you about like all these cultures? Um, not yet. Really? Not, yeah, not yet. I mean, I've, I've, I haven't been DJing long enough mm-hmm. to really see. Well, in terms of like, pro- not even just DJing, but producing as a whole. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think there's a, a difference in creating music that will gain popularity in America versus gaining popularity in, in London or Europe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, making music, you know, before I traveled, I would basically just be in America. Mm-hmm. And you kind of listen to the radio and you hear, you think what people want is what's on the radio all the time. Yeah. And it's totally not that. Mm-hmm. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. And traveling around the world, I've, I've seen that that's really not what people want. They want stuff that's just different, unique, doesn't sound like everything else. Mm-hmm. So. And how do you kind of like find that uniqueness in such a, a saturated market now? You, you go back to just doing what you, what you feel. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've done it in the beginning of my career making music. I've always uh, just made music the way I wanted to make it. Mm-hmm. And then when I started getting older, I started producing more pop acts and then Mm-hmm. I kind of fell into that box a little bit. Yeah. And then when I started to travel, I kind of took myself out of that box. Mm-hmm. Went back to just, you know, just do what you think sounds good. Don't worry about what 
people what do you think other people want yeah and would you say that's more based on like a new breath of inspiration based on all of these locations and, and yeah, individuals you've come across definitely from, that's definitely from traveling and mm-hmm. seeing like what you talked about earlier just seeing everyone else and seeing you know what they want yeah is there any like defining you know aspect of of anything that you've seen that really inspired you and, and really reflected not in your really music? seen anything again you know just being out somewhere and being in a random country and hearing a track mm-hmm. that sounds like nothing else yeah. I've ever heard and seeing people go bananas. You're a legend in the music industry. What's what's something you learned from collaborating and working with so many di- different individuals? A lesson, technique, um, Celine Dion, Jay-Z, Beyonce, um, etc. The list goes on. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. No, the, the funny thing is, is a lot of artists that I've worked with over the years, most of them work similar, mm-hmm. you know, because when I was young, starting to produce, I was producing by myself and yeah. in rooms by myself. And then when I started to work with other artists, I noticed we all kind of work the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you do that? So do I. Yeah. Was there anything that kind of like caught you off guard? Like this one person does like something or like Jay well, does like this, but like Beyonce does that. Like, well, I mean, I, I've seen I'm a lot of artists <laughs> now, but you know, I've seen Jay-Z, um, to his songs without writing anything down, mm-hmm. just sit in the room and listen to it for however long, and then go and just do it. Yeah. Um, I was in the studio with Quincy Jones once, and he did something that I'd never seen before. He took a synthesizer, put it in a vocal booth, mm-hmm. like a you know, and, and connected a mic, no, connected speakers to the synthesizer, and then mm-hmm. mic the speaker. The same way you would mic an electric uh-huh. guitar yeah. and record the keyboards. I'm like, that's uh-huh. why I can never find that keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so now do you use that in any I did a couple really? times. Yeah. yeah, I did a couple times. But it's a way to get a unique sound that you just can't get. Uh, what's the biggest insight you've learned or gained about having this much power? You know, you oh. stand in front of like a couple hundred thousand, a few thousand people. You raise your hand, they raise their hand. Yeah. Like you jump, they jump. I, I, I definitely don't abuse that power. I probably could, you know, do a lot more things, but I kind of don't really do that. Yeah, I mean, you can tweet out someone like, "I'm at this location." Like, first person to bring me a sandwich, like, shakes my hand. Like, I like, I I saw like, it's funny because 2014, like, someone sold a towel of yours for like ten, ten thousand dollars. Like, I'm here just shaking your hand. Like, 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 what do I get? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, funny stuff happens, but I I don't really abuse that too much. Mm Mm-hmm. But like how does like how does that make you feel? Like someone sold like your sweaty towel for ten thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, like I, it's, I mean it's amazing. <laughs> it started out as I was in a dress room and, and the promoter's girlfriend like took my towel off, I use it and she said, I'm gonna sell this on eBay and we were like laughing like, yeah, whatever. And the next morning I remember was like, Guess what? It's on eBay. I'm like, What? And it started out, it was like fifty dollars and somebody bid on it. We were like cracking up because someone bid fifty dollars on it. <laughs> Like, who would pay fifty dollars for a towel? <laughs> then the next day, I saw my manager, and we were just talking. I said, "Hey, I wonder what that towel's going for." He said, "You want to know what that towel's going for?" Then it was five thousand pounds, and we flipped out. And then, you know, Mark got on the phone and started calling everyone. <laughs> and then it, it ended at like ten thousand pounds. Like that. Like, how does that make you feel? Like. That's insane. Like, your sweaty <laughs> towel. Like, you literally just wiped your face. Yeah. And someone just paid 10,000 yeah. like, pounds for it. Was, it, was, it was funny because I was, I was in London at the time and, and all my DJ friends were like cracking up about it. Yeah. I went to see uh, Jamie Jones was playing one day and I'm like, 
And I was like, he was in the middle of doing a set. And I walked up to say hi. And he turned around and saw me. He grabbed his towel and like wiped my face with it. And I almost held it. So, it, you know, it, it was fun. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of jokes. But a lot of times, um, people, because a lot of times at shows I would give stuff away. Mm-hmm. I, I gave my headphones away a lot of times mm-hmm. when I'm done with my set. Um, I give my hats away. That's cool. And a couple of times people tried to sell it. Mm-hmm. But my manager, he kind of shut it down. I was like, no. I oh, man, that's... That's nuts. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that, you know, it, it gives you a different perspective on life after that yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So like on the world and like on people. Yeah, all my friends that know me, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have one of your shirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Um, so how was the music scene growing up in Detroit when you were younger? Like how, how did the underground dancing shape you into who you are today? Um, that's, that's well, the main reason. And... When I was young, Detroit, they had a, 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 sh- a show called The Scene. Mm-hmm. It was a, a dance show, <clears throat> like an independent dance show, super, super ghetto. Um, we played like the best dance music. It wasn't house, it was just dance music. Mm-hmm. And it was like, back in the day, there was a show called American Bandstand. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a pop show, just, they just played commercial records and showing kids dancing. And this one was like the ghetto version of that, but the music was, it was dance music. It just made you want to dance. Now I, I sucked that in from an early age. It was just instilled in me mm-hmm. to even before I was producing. And then once I started producing, I just automatically knew how to make songs danceable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what is still in my music. Mm-hmm. No matter what, it's still danceable some in some way. What about your relationship with, with Kevin Saunderson? Yeah, with Kevin, when I first started learning how to make music by myself, mm-hmm. um, I did a record and some friends of mine put out independently and Kevin Saunderson heard it. Mm-hmm. And he got in touch with me and then from then I was like 17. Mm-hmm. And then I started producing with Kevin and watching him produce. And I learned a lot of actually producing in a real studio from Kevin mm-hmm. a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of went on my own again. Yeah. What are, your, what are your thoughts about, you know, mentorship? How do you, like, if it wasn't for Kevin, would you be where you were today? Um, Do you look at that as like, like Kevin gave that to me. I need like I yeah, should give something back. I mean, to the, the funny thing is, I still think I would be somewhere in music because mm-hmm. um, I was already starting to house, house music before Kevin, mm-hmm. and I was still learning how to produce. Yeah, I would have just learned it, you know, either more myself or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely helped because he was doing you know techno music. Mm-hmm. And just the way he was producing and the way he would EQ his drums was something that, that I learned that I probably wouldn't do the same. Mm-hmm. You know? That's cool. Yeah. Um, where, where did like, the musical inspiration come from? Like, What made you kind of get into all of this? I've always been like a nerd growing up. I was always into like computers and mm-hmm. just technology, anything that was technical. And, um, and that was when... Like in the 80s, that's when synthesizers became really popular. Mm-hmm. And like really cool music equipment. And I kind of got into it from that point. Yeah. So I would see like these synthesizers that do all this stuff. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And I ended up getting one. And then at the same time, learning how to use the electric part of it, I was learning how to produce and make music. Mm-hmm. So, so it was really that. If there was no synthesizers and just pianos and you know acoustic bands, I probably wouldn't be a musician. Do you have like any instrumental background? 
Um, no, I, I mean, I've taught myself theory mm-hmm. from the beginning. Okay. So I, I know theory. Mm-hmm. And then was and I there... Can, I can read music. Okay. So that all helps. Yeah. Uh, was there any, like, artist that you kind of looked up to or you wanted to, your yeah, music I mean, to reflect off growing of? Growing up, Depeche Mode was my favorite group. Who? Depeche Mode. Okay. So, you know, and if you know them and know their music, it's very, it's very electrical. Mm-hmm. It's all sense. Now they have more acoustic stuff, but in the beginning it was just, you know, on keyboards and drum yeah. machines. And that's cool. what I, I love that. Yeah. What, what about it? Just the, just the, like, the synthesizer part, part mm-hmm. and they would use like these these keyboards that were way too expensive for me. Yeah, and I would just I wish I could do that. I wish I had that keyboard. I wish I had that drum machine. Mm-hmm. I wish I could make that sound. So I would try to make mimic their sound with what little equipment I had. Mm-hmm. Was there anyone that you kind of worked like alongside with, like as you were coming up, just kind of like to practice, like like yo, like I like I made this beat. Like, what do you think? Like, not really. Yeah, it was always by myself. Even now, it's I have a not a hard time, but I prefer working in studios alone. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm more creative that way. Really? And then do, do you ever get because like a lot a lot of times with with artists and yeah. collaboration, yeah. it's like you kind of need that that second person to be like, yo, like I just I just made this like dope drum beat. Um, yeah, but that's what I even earlier I kind of I. Try not to depend on someone else mm-hmm. while making a song. So are you very definitive in, like, I made this, like, I'm done, there's nothing else that needs to be added, like, it's going to be... Well, I mean, I always feel like I could add something else to my song. A lot of times when I'm remixing or something like that, I have to literally stop myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Mark, it's done. Leave it alone. Yeah. So, but for the most part, I, I you know, like to do it on myself. I don't really go to someone for a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then last question, uh, an artist's music is typically a reflection of themselves in one form or another. Uh, what does your music say about you? <laughs> huh. I, I don't know. <laughs> I never really... It's like, I told you I was coming out. <laughs> it's like, that's the kind of question, like, someone would say, like... If I was describing Prince and his music, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know how you describe it about yourself. I want a song that just makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. That that changes my mood to like happy, um, confident. Mm-hmm. That's what I want that song to. That's what that's what I feel like when I have a, a good record, mm-hmm. pretty much. Okay, so that that's a good reflection yeah. of yeah yeah. <laughs> it's all shown in his, his shoulder bounce. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when you see the like connection of like, this music and happy to talk about. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna quote you on that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing. I wanna like kind of how um trademark you know, just trademark it. The shoulder bounce? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 